Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you that you have given us all life, that you've created us. And we have a purpose this morning because you have created us in your image. And I want to ask you to forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word and that you would fill me with your spirit so that you would use me to speak to your people. And we as your people would not be just hearers of the word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God is the creator of life. That's what we're talking about. But before I go any further, I just got to take a moment and thank Denise Corey for her testimony. You know, I had uh, the privilege of marrying Denise and Vince, and they are a wonderful couple. They truly are. They're a really special couple. And I've also had the privilege to observe them over the years and see their faith in action. And they are people who love Jesus and love his people and love to serve. But today I'm extremely moved by Denise's courage to share her story with us. And her story gave glory to God, for sure. But it also reminded and encouraged me, and hopefully encouraged you, and reminded you about the fact that God is in the business of bringing help, hope, and healing to people's lives today. And I would like you, if you would, to join me and just give thanks to God and thanks to Denise. She's actually here, right there. And just put your hands together and thank you for your courage and sharing. Thank you. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 139, specifically verses 13 through 16. I know they read to 18, but those are the four verses we're going to be looking at. But Psalm 139, what we're going to discover is that God has created us and he desires to have a relationship with us. But before we get into that specific specific passage, I've got to help you understand the context that that passage is found in. It's found in Psalm 139. So let me just give you, if you will, the background This is the context of Psalm 139. David wrote the psalm, but David is famous for his writings about his personal relationship with God in the psalms. And David, being led by the Holy Spirit, wrote Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is one of the most, if you will, intimate pictures of God's relationship to us. And David beautifully describes three characteristics about God. In our psalm, the first characteristic is found in verses 1 through 6. And here we we find David describing God as all-knowing. In other words, God never has to learn. God knows everything about us. In verse 7 through 12, David gives, gives us another characteristic of God. He, gives, he emphasizes on the fact that God is all-present, which means God is with us everywhere, all the time. God is with us everywhere and all the time. And then the third characteristic is found in verses 13 through 16, which is our passage, and David, David describes God as all-powerful, meaning God is the creator of all things, which includes you 
and which includes me. God through David is telling us that God knows us, he's with us, and he created us. And what that means for each and every one of us is this, that whoever you are and whatever you've done and wherever you've been, God loves you and desires a relationship with you. Now you might be asking yourself the question, if you've ever studied Psalm 139, where did you find that God loves us and desires to have a relationship with us in Psalm 139? I found it in the very first verse. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Psalm 139, if you don't have a Bible, please pick up the Bible in the pew. Psalms are found right in about the middle of the book in the Old Testament. And open up there to Psalm 139. I want you to look at the very first verse with me. Verse 1. And it says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. The word search there means that God knows everything about you. Nothing is hidden from him. The word search there takes on the idea, if you will, like God has us under his microscope and he's looking at every detail of your life, everything about you. You are laid bare before him. That means he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of our lives. And what David's going to discover here in our psalm is that this God we're talking about, even though he knows all this about us, he still desires to have a relationship with us. Why do I say that? Because of his next word that he uses, which is, you know me. That word know in this passage is a Hebrew, Hebrew word called yada. It's spelled Y-A-D-A, yada. Now, this word is found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, as well as in our passage. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Adam lay with Eve, or Adam yada with Eve. And she conceived and had a child, a son, Cain. That word yada is used again in the, in the book of Genesis in describing a very intimate relationship between a husband and wife. God leading David by the Holy Spirit chooses that same word to describe the kind of relationship, but it's different. In other words, David uses the word that describes the most intimate human relationship between a husband and wife to describe how closely and intimately God's relationship is to us. But what is even more astounding is that David pairs the word to know with the word to search, which makes this relationship deeper than any humanly possible relationship. In other words, the relationship that God has with us and desires with us is deeper than any human relationship that we could ever experience. Why? Because God knows everything about you. He knows every thought, every word, every action, everything you're going to do or everything that you will ever do. And even though he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, David is realizing because this word is an action. It takes on an action. In other words, God is being the aggressor in this relationship. God is pursuing us. And even though he knows everything about us, he wants to know us in a personal and intimate way. When I first understood that, that blew me away. That God knows everything about me, knows everything I'm going to do. All the good, the bad, and the ugly, the sick things that we do. And he still wants to have a relationship with me. 
and with you. You know, when I was studying this, I'll tell you when I was, many, many years ago, and I was actually in a diner in New York City studying this passage. And a woman came up to me and she said, uh, what are you studying? And I told her everything that I just shared with you. And she was a young waitress and she just kind of stepped back and she looked at me and she said, I don't want to know a God like that, a God that knows everything about me. I don't want to know a God that knows everything that I do when I'm by myself or in my bedroom or with my, my boyfriend. I don't want to know that God. And I said, is that because you're afraid that he's going to judge you and condemn you? She said, absolutely. And I said, the reason you're afraid of God is because you don't know the whole story. Let me tell you, you see, it says in the scriptures that God so loved you that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In other words, Jesus was sent not to condemn you, not to judge you, but to forgive you. He died on the cross for all those things that you're afraid of. He died on that cross and he was raised again from the dead. And all those of us who transfer our trust from ourselves to Jesus, he has the power and the authority to forgive you of your sin and to, and to have you unite yourself again back in a relationship with God. He has that power to do that. He has that authority to give to you eternal life so that you can know for certain that you have a relationship with God and that heaven will be your home. And then I looked at her and I said, and you know what, I've just got to ask you this question. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, I've just got to ask you, do you know anybody that would know everything that you've ever thought about them, you've ever felt towards them, or you ever have said about them? or ever will say, or ever will do, or ever will feel towards that person, and still would love you? And she said, no, I don't think I know anybody like that. I said, well, I just told you who it is. It's Jesus Christ. And he died, and he was raised again from the dead, and he wants to have a relationship with you, forgive you, and start all over again. You know what she did? She just walked away. Just walked away. You know, I've continued to pray for her. Matter of fact, I prayed for her this week as I was studying this passage. I don't know whatever happened to her. I don't know where she is. But I know what happened to Denise, Corey. I know that Denise, she didn't walk away from God. When she heard about how God can forgive her, how God loves her and desires a relationship with her, how God could bring healing and hope to her. She responded to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ changed her life. And now she is set free as she gave testimony today about what Jesus Christ has done for her. You know what? Every one of us in this room, God wants to do that for you. No matter if you've been walking with God for a long time or if you've never walked with God. This morning, he wants to do something for you that you've wanted for him to do for you for many, many years. And we're going to talk about that this morning. How you can break through and know that God knows you, you know him. And where you can break through some of these secrets. Some of these things that have held you back for all these years. Because that's what, did, that's what happened to Denise. And that's what happened, can happen for all of you. I know that Jesus Christ has changed my life. I know what I was and what I am today. And to his glory and to his honor, he's not done with me. And I'm not done with him. With all that being said, if you will, hopefully you've understood that I now want to look specifically at our passage and take on the whole idea that God 
is the creator of life. Look at verses 13 and 16 with me. Here in this passage, David understands that God is all-powerful and therefore the creator of all creation, including himself. In In verse 13 it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The first two words he uses is for you. Who's that? He's talking about God there. For you, God. And what was God doing? He was creating. The first thing that David establishes here is that God is the creator and we are his creation. For he goes on and he describes how God has created him and how he's created every human being in this room. He goes on and says, For you, God, the creator, created my inmost being. My inmost being is talking about your liver, your lungs, your kidneys, your heart, your pancreas, every organ in your body. God created it. Then the verse goes on and says, You knit me together in my mother's womb. He took your veins and your arteries and he connected those organs. He knitted them together with your veins and arteries. Verse 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. My frame is referring to your bone structure, to your skeleton. God created that. And then finally in verse 16 it says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. That word unformed literally means embryo. From the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb, it was God who was creating you. Not mother nature. Not even your mom and dad. God used your mom and dad to make you, but God created you in your mother's womb. So what does that mean? That means this, that God is the creator of life. And he begins life at conception. He begins life at conception. The moment you were Conceived, God was creating you. In that moment when when the sperm met the egg, God breathed life into that, just as he breathed life into Adam, and he started creating you in the womb. So God makes it very clear in the scriptures, as well as a number of other scriptures, that he's the one who's the creator, and he brings life to the womb, the moment you were conceived. But there are many people in the world, as well as in churches, that believe that life is like more like an assembly line. That life doesn't begin until the product is completed. In other words, they don't believe that life is in the womb. They believe that life happens once the, the woman gives birth to the child. And God is making it very, very clear here that that's wrong. He's saying, no, no, life begins in the womb and the moment In that moment, it's not your mom and dad. God used your mom and dad to make you, but God created you and brought life to you in the womb the moment you were conceived. Now this is where the sanctity of life all comes. This is the issue. The question that always is brought up is when does life begin? And those who don't respect the Bible or don't believe in the Bible, they look elsewhere for their decision about when life begins. And what they do is they, most people look to the medical community. And the medical community tells us this. They say that once they detect a heartbeat and brain waves, or either one, they determine that's life. And they say that life in the womb, they can detect a heartbeat two and a half weeks and brain waves within five and a half weeks. Two and a half to five and a half weeks, the medical community says that life begins in the womb. 
Now it's tragic to, tragic to tell you this, but it's true, that 100% of clinical abortions, talking about 100% of clinical abortions, I'm not talking about abortions that happen because women take the morning after pill. That's a whole other issue. I'm talking about clinical abortions. 100% of them, as we saw on the screen today, 55 million abortions have happened in America, and 55 million of them happened after the effect, after the fact that life began. 100%. Now, I've had the opportunity to preach on this subject many times here at Christ Church and other churches. And I've had the privilege to talk to women who have broken their silence and they've come to me and they've talked to me about the fact that they have aborted their child. And the majority of them who came to talk to me told me that their decision had nothing to do when life began. Although many people wax eloquent about talking about when life began and when it didn't, the majority of the people that I talked to, it had nothing to do with, with when life began. They made the decision to abort their child because they were afraid. They were afraid. They were alone. They were ashamed. They were pressured by their family, by their friends, by their boyfriends, telling them that they're going to embarrass the family, that they're going to ruin their lives, that it's just a medical procedure. Just go in and take care of it, and it will change your life. And oh, it changed their life. But they had no idea, and they went in, and they made this decision, and then they sat before them, and I will tell you the truth. Every one of the people who talked to me over the years have said this, that Pastor Glover, after that decision, something happened to me. And there was like a heaviness that fell upon me. And it was like I was in a cloud. It was like I was, I, 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 I was sad. I was depressed and I didn't know why. So I began to search what, what was wrong with me. And eventually I ended up in the church and, and finally heard what God had to say about life. And I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. And a number of them who were in services where I was preaching actually walked out and, and and threw up in, the, in their bathrooms or went out in their cars and sat there and wept and wept and didn't know what to do. Listen to me, church. I am so thankful, so thankful that, yes, we preach about life. I am. But I'm also very, very thankful that we have a ministry called Surrendering the Secret for women like this that are caught in this trap and they don't know what to do and we're here not only talking to them about the life but we're talking about Jesus Christ who has brought good news for all of us and that good news is that he's not going to take you and throw you under the bus but he came and he died and he was raised again from the dead and those who call upon his name he can bring help, hope and healing to your life he can do that for you today, this morning. He can do it for you anytime. Amen. And I thank God we have that kind of ministry. Amen. But if you are like Denise this morning, madam, young man, gentlemen, ladies, if you're like Denise, go to that ministry. Let Jesus Christ heal you. Let him minister to you. I believe Jesus is here this morning. 
And he wants to do that not only for those who are like Denise, but for all of us. For all of us have secrets. For all of us have things in our lives. And God wants to help us today. Maybe it's not like Denise, but what is it in your life? What is it in your children's lives? What is it in your grandchildren? What is it? Are you willing to bring that before the Lord and lay it before him today? Because I believe that Christ wants to bring forgiveness. He wants to break through in your life and the life of your loved ones. For this is what it says in the scripture. Hear hear this. That God created this. I want you to know that no child is a mistake. Let me say that again. No child, no child is a mistake. And that means you're not one. So you're not a mistake. You're not an accident. And you're definitely not here by chance. God created you. And he created you for a purpose. But he not only created you, but he tells us something else in in verse 16. Verse 16 says this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What's this whole idea of in your book before one of them came to be? In other words, God knew about you before he ever created you. You were in his mind before he ever even created the heavens or the earth. He knew you before you, it was you. He knew you. Matter of fact, someone said it like this. Before God ever created the heavens and the earth, if he would have had a wallet, he would have opened up the wallet and your picture would have been in it. He has known all about you forever and ever, even before you ever showed up. But he not only knew of you before you showed up, but he not only created you, but he's chosen you. The Bible makes it very clear. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And that moment that you were born, God chose. You didn't choose. Your parents didn't choose. God used your mom and dad to make you, but God created you. And he created you and he chose you for such a time as this, to be alive in this generation. You're sitting in that pew looking up at me because you could have been born in the 1400s, the 1500s, or the 1800s. But you're sitting in that pew looking up at me because God chose you for such a time as this, to be alive in this generation. So he created you and he's chosen you. Whenever I share that great truth with people, There are so many who come to me later and they'll say, Pastor Ed, I know what the Bible says, but can I tell you how I feel? I don't, I I feel like, yeah, okay, God created me, but I don't feel like he's chosen me. Matter of fact, if I told you all the things that I have done in my life, I think you would say to me, God wouldn't want me. You know, whenever anybody comes and says that to me, you know what I say to them? I say to them, what you've just said and what you've just thought are lies. Those are lies. For the truth is that yes, God did create you and he has chosen you and he desires a relationship with you. And I tell them, let me tell you why he has chosen you. And I tell them a story. Now I've told this story before here, but it's appropriate to tell it today because it fits perfectly in this point. That God not only knew about you before you were ever created, but he's chosen you. To be alive today because he desires a relationship with you. A good friend of mine, his name is David Busby. And he had a number of physical limitations. Matter of fact, one of those limitations took him home to be with Jesus. But before he went home with Christ, David and I used to go around at retreats and conventions and we would speak together. 
kind of like what John Guest and I do now. And David, he would tell a story. He would tell a story about, I'll never forget it, about when he was in eighth grade. He talks about a day, it was a Saturday, and he woke up and he decided to go out and play basketball. Never played basketball before in his life because of the physical limitations he had. But this Saturday, he decides to get up and he says, I'm going to go out there and play basketball. Now he knew, depending on the weather, <clears throat> that his big brother and a number of his friends would be out in the backyard playing basketball. It was a big, beautiful day, so he got dressed. He walked out into the backyard, and sure enough, there's his big brother and all of his buddies playing basketball just shooting around. Teams haven't been chosen yet. So he walks up and he asks his brother, he said, hey, can I play? And they said, sure. Then he goes on and he describes his brother for a moment. He says his brother was huge and he was a tremendous athlete. Matter of fact, he saw his brother make 109 foul shots in a row. Now, anybody who knows anything about basketball, you know that's an amazing thing. That young man must have been a tremendous athlete. And when he looked at his brother, he said, can I play? Now, you've got to see the contrast here, right? His brother's an unbelievable bas basketball player. David's never played before. Yeah, you can play, David. Matter of fact, go over there, grab that basketball. If you go to the foul line, if you make the shot, you get to choose who's on your team. So David walks over, he grabs a basketball, he goes over to the foul line, and he shoots. And David goes on to say that he missed the backboard, the rim, <laughs> the net, the air, he, he missed everything. And then he said his big brother went up behind him, grabbed the basketball, went to the foul line. Of course, he made his shot. And then 25 guys lined up in front, of Dave, in front of David's brother. David said his brother picked up his long arm and he pointed at each and every one of them. And then he looked at David and he said, David, I choose you. And David looked at him and said, me? He said, yeah, I choose you. David said he walked off that line, then he described his brother. He said when he walked up to his brother, his bro brother was massive. He said that he, David, came up to about his belly button. And as he's walking towards his brother, he realizes this has nothing to do with basketball. So when he gets to his brother, he just sinks his head into his brother's belly and he, he just begins to cry. And he weeps. And then David's brother put his arms around David and just held him there. Just held him. And then I'll never forget what David said. He said right then it all stopped being about basketball. For my brother didn't choose me because I was a good basketball player. He chose me because he loved me. He loved me. Friends, look right here. God chose you not because you're perfect. God chose you not because you're the best. God didn't choose you because you're not good enough. No, God chose you because he loves you. He loves you, and he desires a relationship with you. And he sent his son to set you free. Now, if you're like Denise, and you've been beating yourself up for years, look right here now. You're like Denise, and you've been beating yourself up for years. 
and you've been suffering in silence, I know that Jesus is standing here and his arms are open wide and he's saying to you, you come and I will give help and hope and healing. I'll forgive you. I'll heal you. I will restore you. But you might be out there this morning and you might not have the same issue that Denise has. But you're suffering because of a secret. It might be a secret that you deal with, the, with pornography all the time. And you can't break through. It might be that you are angry and bitter. And you've been hanging on, for, on that for years. It might be something about the fact that you've been abused or you've abused someone. Or you've cheated. You've cheated on your wife. You've cheated on your husband. You're cheating at work. You've been lying. And you know that you've been lying. It could be a number of things, my friends. But Jesus wants to help you to surrender that secret and be set free. The reason Denise is able to take and play that video is because she's set free. Jesus is standing here today, not only for people like Denise, but for all of us. And he's saying, you come. If you're willing to surrender, I will help you. I will heal you. I will restore you. I will help you break through. All you got to do, my friend, is respond. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. And for those of us who, who don't know you, we, we don't know if we even have a relationship with you, we come. We come even though we know that we have a relationship and we've been in the church for years. We come. We're coming to you today knowing that you are our Savior and our Lord and you're the only help and the only hope and the only help that can help me. And we come in the name of Jesus and we ask you to forgive us of our sins, forgive us for living and trying to hide these things from people, from us, from even you. Forgive us. And this day, we're asking you to forgive us of our sin, and we're asking you to fill us with your spirit so that we can really break through. But Lord, we also know that as we're talking to you today, that we need to seek out, seek out pastors or counselors, someone else other than ourselves, in order to really truly break through, because we need accountability. So we're asking you today to lead us to that loved one, lead us to that pastor, lead us to that counselor, so that we could truly break through. We don't want to live like this anymore. We want you to break through in our lives and help us to become whole. For we ask these things together this day, either coming to know you for the very first time or just breaking through in our lives, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Look right here. God loves you, and he desires, desires a relationship with you.
with your children and your grandchildren. Don't you give up. Don't you run away from him. You run to him. Run to him. And he's there for you. We're going to sing an old hymn. Don't sing it like you've ever sung it before. Sing it anew. Knowing that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has set us free. He has set us free. Amen.